Boop, boop, a doop, doo, doo, doo. Oh man, come oh. on, I get so excited. I kick my tripod. <laughs> <laughs> hello, hello. Hello. So, welcome to the Common Humanity Podcast, where we are here to have real human conversation. Um, I am so excited to have you on. I'm like, I'm just like so excited. <laughs> I'm um, grateful to be on. It means a lot. So, um, I'm just going to jump right mm -hmm. in. I, so I'm just going to start with the question I always start with, which is, Cody, who are you? Uh, oh, uh you want the short version? <laughs> We've got an hour. Okay. Uh, my name is Cody Abel, and uh, I am a uh, older brother. Uh, I am a marital partner. <laughs> Uh, I'm a friend, and I am a tattooer, and a aspiring strength athlete, and uh, a, a big fan of uh, uh, movies and comics, I guess, and uh, uh, the human connection, I guess, I guess you'd say. Okay. Yeah. Um. We'll start light. Marvel or DC? Uh, depends. Are we talking movies or comics? You, you fill me in. You tell me. Uh, and it says you're the best brother. So. That's my, uh, <laughs> my younger brother, Trevor. He's an idiot. <laughs> Kidding. Love you, man. Uh, <laughs> comics. Um, DC. I was a DC kid. When it came to reading comics, um, the mo movies-wise, it's unabashedly Marvel. Marvel's winning the movie race, um, but I, I, I don't have a, uh, I don't hold a, a torch for your, for any one company or anything. I read and watch whatever. Um, so, but yeah, movies, it's Marvel. Comics, I was a DC kid. I was a huge Batman kid. I was a huge Nightwing kid, which is uh, Dick yeah. Grayson, who Robin. He became Nightwing. So yeah, Nightwing is my favorite. Yeah. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Dick Grayson is uh, that we, I was just talking to a, a friend of mine, a strongman athlete who's a tremendous uh, nerd. And we were talking about like how they're, they're just neat. The fact that there's not been a Nightwing movie is insane. Right. I, I 100% agree. Cause they even, there was one, I don't remember which Batman it was, but they left it open for there to be a Nightwing movie and it's not here yet. And I'm upset. Yeah. I think they could do a show in the vein of the Daredevil show, but mm -hmm. Grayson as a detective, and I think it would be awesome. So, uh, but yeah. we'll, who knows? I would love. I want that screen though, really bad. I was actually super proud. I make my kids like fancy birthday cakes every year, and a couple of years ago, they just wanted like a sheet cake, but yeah. with their favorite superheroes on it. And yeah. I think he was four at the time. And my little one asked for Nightwing. And I was just like, yes. <sighs> I have to. Yeah. I um, for dinner. 
Um, okay, so let's see. You say you're an aspiring strength athlete. So um, I honestly, so let's see. We'll, we'll dive into a couple of different things from this. But we met, like many people who come on to my podcast do, in the comment section of the internet. Yeah. Um, and obviously one of the more pleasant interactions because we're here talking again. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I like, I think I started following you because I'm, I'm a power lifter. So I follow other strong people because strong people inspire me to be a strong person. Yeah. And then like learned a little bit more about you that you're like, like a little bit more well-known than I am. Um, <laughs> I'm just really loud. <laughs> um, so I want to know, like, what what was your experience getting into strength sports, and what, like, where that fire comes from? Um, uh, I got into strength sports. Um, I got into lifting in 2010 or 11 when I was about 24. And then I uh, worked out for about two years and I wanted to do something. Um, I was starting to follow everything, weightlifting, powerlifting, CrossFit, strongman. Uh, CrossFit and strongman have always held my interest the most. So I started doing CrossFit um, and had some goals with that and pursued them. Uh, what I felt like at the time was very hard and uh, my effort and training was hard. Uh, I could have done a lot of other stuff better, but... Um, still kind of came to the end of that road, um, and had like a, I went through like a long, long training block cycle, whatever. And I got a lot stronger and fitter and all that stuff, but I was still like so far from being able to even come close to my goal. Um, mm -hmm. you know, we don't want to like set limitations on people, but with my age and lack of athletic background, um, it would have taken just it just was almost impossible, like on paper, um, like percentage wise, like I would have had to improve such a ginormous amount. Um, and I, I and at, at that point, I wasn't actually even having fun anymore. I was like, just kind of like, Meh, you know, um, yeah. then I was just kind of working out. And then we moved to from Virginia to Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. And uh, I saw a strongman show, which I'd always kept my eye on. And I signed up for it and was sort of training, trying to train for it. And then it like dawned on me like, hey, like I had like a coach in a program before, like I need one now. Um, but I wanted I wanted something a little more personal than what I had prior. Um, and I reached out to someone I had taken a seminar from and I had talked to a bunch and we did some of the same competitions. Um, his name's Will Hall. And um we did like a long consult call and that was in august no july 2016 and the first co that contest was in august and i loved it had a blast and i loved working with him and i've been working with him ever since nice yeah so what would you say is Why strength sports? There's plenty of sports out there. Yeah. Um, one, I just, uh, I kind of got uh, tricked 
not tra- I got pressured to work out. Uh, mm-hmm. Not quite bullied. That that kind of towed that that line of like bullied, pressured. Um, but very quickly just loved it. And, and I had some good encouragement too. Um, I remember specifically like the guy that was sort of helping us all. Um, he like, just like dropped a little nugget. I was on like a shoulder press machine or something. I don't know. And he was like, you never lifted before. I was like, no, no. Played sports in middle school a little bit. My freshman year, that was it. I've never done anything athletic. And he was like, huh. He was like, you can be, like, really big and strong, I think, if you wanted to. And I was like, really? And he was like, yeah, I think so. I remember that stuck with me. And then I just fell in love with it. I just, like, genuinely, like, liked that feeling. Um, even on days where I was like, Ugh, uh. um, And then it just, like, sank its hooks in me, man. I, like, went all in, like a lot of people do. And then as far as, like the sport and the effort and the drive. Um, I think that is just something I picked up as a kid. Um, I had a lot of, a lot of stuff going on as a kid. Um, and a lot, there wasn't really anything I would, uh, I, I took to really. Um, I either, uh, misdiagnosed or, or whatever there was it's a lot you could we could turn that into its own podcast but i was labeled or i got diagnosed uh with like mild depression and adhd as a kid and i had a really tumultuous unstable home life um so i had a really hard time reading um, and uh i had to once I, I i moved around so much as a kid that I was actually able to sort of grift and trick teachers into not knowing that I couldn't read. Because uh, yeah. when you're new in elementary school, like, you know, you're an elementary school kid. You're like, you're already wired. So I was able, right. I just instinctively knew how to redirect attention from the fact that I couldn't read. Um, and then, um, so we can get into other stuff later, but basically I've had to like, whether by choice or by necessity, like anything I've had to do or wanted to do, it's like taken a lot of effort. Um, I played music as a kid and that I didn't take to that very easily. So it took a lot of practice, like focus practice. Like I can right. kind of off and do stuff, but I have to like have like concerted structure practice or rehearsal, whatever you want to call it. It was the same thing when I did theater, um, you know, I was good at theater, but you know, I was the, up until my last, last production as a, as a actor or whatever, um, I was never the, I was always the last person to be off book. Off book is when you don't have to look at the script. Um, so, um, I'm just kind of used to having to kind of put my nose down and, and do stuff. Um, luckily I'm, I'm kind of a, kind of an entitled brat. Um, and I don't ever do anything I don't want to do generally, unless I like, you know, as you get older, like I have to pay taxes, I have to take the garbage out. But in terms of like an elected activity, um, I'm not going to work on it unless I love it. So I'm willing to do things that for the most part, I'm willing to do things that um, I know are going to help. So I actually, I love that a lot because I feel like I'm the same way. Um, Like I tell people, 
I'm a, I'm a very active person, right? And I tell people, like, I'm one of the laziest people you'll meet because if I don't want to do it, I won't. Yeah. So I only do the things that I actually want to do. And even the trash. Like, you want to take the trash out because otherwise your house smells. Like, yeah. it's a yeah. different kind of want, but it's still. Yeah. Um, and then just, like, a quick side note. Um, referencing my very first podcast that I did this year was with um, a lady who is a reading specialist and we talked about neurodivergence. Um, our kids were best friends in preschool and um, learning a ton about like the idea so that ADHD and dyslexia are usually comorbidities. So they're usually, you've got one, you probably have some version of the other. Yeah. So um, I'm that right is, there in that, that boat with you. That is something I've actually, I, I, I didn't actually know that, but the older I've gotten, the more I've wondered that just because, um, when, you know, I, I definitely have some version of that, you know, like I, I don't think, I think the way my family and the medical professionals handled it when I was a kid is not ideal. Um, <laughs> Like whenever my whenever I kind of my brain gets either overloaded or kind of in hyperspeed, like I'll say things backwards, I'll 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 read signs backwards, you know what mm -hmm. I mean? But not like I don't see it normal and say it backwards. Like it'll literally look f flipped and moved around and stuff, and I'll double take, and then it'll be normal and things like that. Um, so I, I've kind of had, I've had, I think I've been afraid to find out whether yeah. ADHD and some form of dyslexia, like are comorbidities or can one be the other or both or whatever. And so that, that definitely with some of my, my brain fun functionality. Yeah. It was actually one of the things she told me was so interesting. Like the sensation of like, having something on the tip of your tongue, like knowing the word that you want to say, but not being able to actually get your brain to say the word is a sign of dyslexia. Um, saying things like when you're speaking and flipping letters around. So mine was always um, like Wobbertoddle. I would, like I tried to ask for my water bottle one day and I said Wobbertoddle and like people made fun of me and then it like became a thing. And I was like, I don't know, like, my brain's moving faster than my mouth can. I don't know what to tell you. But then yeah. I also think there's a huge thing. I think you're like a couple of years older than me, but still same generation. Like there's a lot more research on ADHD and dyslexia now than there was when we were kids. Um, there's a lot more help out there now than when we were kids. And I think that that, I mean, it makes a huge difference. And also being in a family unit that one, um, let's go with, I don't know if it believes the stuff, but is willing to work within that different way of thinking versus, yeah. hey, this is how society is. So you need to conform to that, which yeah. I feel like that was like the nineties was just like, if you have these issues, we need to fix these issues so that you can maintain in a normal sense around everybody else. 
instead yeah. of actually there was like, no there was no uh there was no route to take in terms of like helping you cope with how your brain worked it was like trying to make your brain work normal um right. which i don't even know i don't know nearly enough about any of this stuff but like other than some pretty archaic methods and ideas i don't even know if that's even possible barring like antipsychotics or something like that you know what i mean like um so uh, i was never i was never taught or even attempted to be taught a skill set on how to mm -hmm. like work my brain to my advantage and you know what i mean or like how to work within my own wavelength i guess um yeah i looking back on it my i mean i don't hold any resentment or anything in terms of like the medical professionals or like psychologists or psychiatrists in general or anything. But I mean, my doctor's visits for like my, my Ritalin and whatever depression, other medicine they had me on consisted of like a five minute meeting about once a month. Mm -hmm. I would walk in, she would ask how I was doing. She would talk to my mom for a minute. My mom would walk out. I'd walk in. She'd ask how my mom and I were getting along ask if I had any bad dreams, ask if anything had happened in a month. And then she would take my weight and then adjust my prescriptions based on my weight. Um, and then after a year or two of that, um, I, <laughs> uh, we went to her office. Well, so she had two offices. She had her own private practice and then she worked out of like a private mental health facility. Mm -hmm. And, um, one day we went to at her office in the mental health facility, um, which it had, we had gone there before. Um, and uh, after the session, my mom walked out uh, into the main room with a bag and I was admitted into the facility for about three months, unbeknownst to me. And um, that's actually where they figured out I couldn't read. Um, Cause I got admitted <laughs> and my mom like gave me my bag of clothes. Might've hugged me. I can't remember. Uh, and then left. So then I proceeded to try and basically tear the building down. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, that was where they like figured out I couldn't read. And it was like a very eye opening experience for them. Mm -hmm. um, and just looking back on it, it was, yeah, there was zero efforts to, yeah, it was literally like, everyone else is like this, so you got to act like this. And I, 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 to be fair, I was all, I was oppositional the entire time. I mean, I was there against my own will, and I was like uh, eight or nine, so I don't really know what they're expecting. But um, yeah, <laughs> so I, I, could definitely... I was going to ask was how old you were because, especially at that age, I feel like that would be. I mean, kind of traumatic in its own right. Um, yeah. Because you're, you're still very much a kid. Like, that's my oldest just turned no, nine. Yeah, I was a child. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I think it was, I mean, without getting too far into the weeds of it, like, um, I remember I, I, my, my mom was like, you're staying here. And I was like, oh, for how long? She's like, well, until we get along better. Because my mom, my mom and I had a very chaotic relationship 
And I was like, okay, well, does that mean you're staying too? Because my mom was very um, unpredictable, um, highly erratic, uh, very self-destructive, self-sabotage, um, probably um, most definitely had some form of um, what is it? Uh, you're bipolar? Either, absolutely was bipolar. I think she might have um, had some other stuff going on, but it, it very much felt and in retrospect, I, I felt like I was just kind of getting dumped off. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, it was extremely traumatic. Very traumatic. It's pretty, pretty seared into my memory. Yeah. I think so. It's hard. I think it's very hard to like, I mean, as an adult now, I can kind of look back at how my parents were and like with a little bit more understanding because I've also been a parent and things like that. And like you said, there's not, like you don't hold resentment because, you know, I think we, most of us get to a point where we're like, you did the best you could with what you knew how to do. Um, one of the things I find very hard, especially with ADHD, is it's very much hereditary. Like, I found out I had it after my oldest got diagnosed, and his doctor was just like, so this is hereditary. He got it from somewhere. Miss Fidgety, whatever, can't keep your life organized unless you have, like, 18 planners going at once. Maybe you should get checked out. And... Like parenting an ADHD child as an ADHD person is difficult because I'm like, not only, it's almost like if you just go to the hyperfixation thing, like we hyperfixate on different things and then we butt heads because like when we're both on the same wavelength, it's fantastic. But when we're on different wavelengths, it's, I mean, it can be very, we'll just go with rough, yeah. <laughs> like yeah. mentally. And um, in that regards, I'm really, I don't know, grateful, I guess, that I have the open mind that I do to try to understand versus control. Because if I were trying to control the situation, I think I might make myself insane. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, whether my mom had ADHD, I'm not, I'm not too sure. I mean, she definitely could have, um, I think she might've had it. And, but then with a, from a, a mix of just her own traumatic experiences with, substance abuse and just like kind of prolonged um trauma or something like that like i think she had kind of surpassed that mm -hmm. i don't know the, the the mom parent stuff is a very like weird subject for me um just because it was kind of like a bridge apart from like a, like lines were crossed yeah 
as a parent and a kid. Um, you know, I also, but I also do a really good, or I try to do a good job of like compartmentalizing that and understanding that like somebody's mom getting really mad at them and maybe saying something a little out of line, like my internal response and my, or my immediate response is typically like, well, shut them out and never speak to them again. Yeah. Uh, that's not normally, that's not an appropriate response. Um, are there scenarios where it is hundred um, percent? But you know, when I'm dealing with close, close friends and, and family and whatnot, I try and remember like, you know, that that is what they're dealing with is not what I had to deal with. Um, so I have to like, I actually have to take a pause and sort of, cause I get really invested when people are talking to me about things. So I have to literally like take a minute or two or 10 and sort of like take it in and think like, I don't like saying objective cause it sounds so cold and like sociopathic, but like, you know, I try and think about like context and like, what is their situation and relationship, you know? Um, cause like cutting ties off with 98% of my family, uh, like seven or eight years ago was, was the best decision I ever made. Um, but that's not everybody, you know, luckily that's not everybody, you know, most of the time people just need to have a couple of hard conversations and yeah. I, as I, and I, and I know more than anybody how hard that can be. So. Well, that takes me into. So I don't know, remember the exact conversation that we had that got us kind of introduced. But what I do remember is that it was along the lines of vulnerability and specifically um, men finding a way to be vulnerable in this world. And I can start to kind of see how you developed into a person who believes that um, because I find a lot of times people who have had to build a lot of resilience um, generally are much better at like putting themselves in somebody else's shoes and finding a lot more empathy. And I think empathy and vulnerability kind of go hand in hand. But I want to know, like, first, what does vulnerability mean to you? And we'll just start there. Vulnerability. Um, I think, well, for me, For me, vulnerability was coming to terms with a few things, and some of that was um, a lot to do with my mother, um, either directly or not directly. Um, for me, it was acknowledging like a lot of fear, and you know, like one of my and I, I, I like said it out loud. I had like mentally come to it a long time ago. Mm -hmm. 
and it really kind of dawned on me a few years ago. And then I said it for the first time out loud. Um, um, to two people. Um, the the order of which was not how I planned on it. Uh, one, I'm, I'm not going to name their name, um, but I was competing at Worlds in this past November. And someone I compete with a couple times a year and who I talk with regularly, um, they, they have a, a lot of mental, emotional things that they work on and continue mm -hmm. to battle with. And um, I was kind of checking up on them through lockdown and then the lead up to that show last year just because, I don't know, I just felt inclined to. And we were, I don't want to say friends at the time, but we were close competitors, pals. We are now friends. But um, he confided a lot in me. And he had a, he had a lot of stuff that he wanted to get off his chest. Um, it kind of, it was you know, it's kind of like, it was one of those conversations, they all, they all go like that. Someone kind of opens up specifically the mm -hmm. thing they do and then it turns into this big thing. Um, and you know, that led me to saying and saying out loud for the first time was, um, I had in every aspect of my life, whether it's work or my, my hobby, passion, whatever you want to call it, strong man. Um, I am at times like mentally and emotionally, I don't know, stunted or like kneecapped as a better phrase maybe i have like this like horrific fear that i am like this like joke in in uh like a fear that um i have a very hyper specific fear that um i'm basically the center of like group chats and that like people i know just are like passing around pictures or videos of me or just like making fun of me and things like that um and then um, what really dawned on me about a year and a half ago is um, I'm very, I'm a very open and loving person. Mm -hmm. I'm very open with how I feel about people, good, bad, or otherwise. <laughs> uh, but uh, I actually uh, kind of shut down when people um, do that to me. Um, with the exception of a few people, but um, like uh, one of my oldest best friends, um, he <laughs> um, almost every time we spend time together, he goes out of his way to tells me how much he cares about me, how proud he is of me, and uh, only up until very, very recently um, did I basically just not uh, shut down. And um, me figuring out or coming to terms with the fact that um, as, as willing as I am to give love to people and care, um, it's actually a lot harder for me to accept love than I, than I ever realized. Um, so um, those are the things I'm very vulnerable about. And some of them I knew and I just didn't even internally didn't uh, really grapple with. Um, but um, the, the, the second one, like accepting love 
And, 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 and when I say accepting love, I don't mean like a hug or, oh, I love you, bye. But like somebody like sitting here telling you like, I love you, like with no qualifiers and, you, you know, and that thing that people do that love you. Um, that's, that is still hard for me. Um, and that is, you know, that takes vulnerability, I think. Um, and I mean, I feel like we're going down a rabbit hole here, but I think vulnerability for me was come to terms with my limitations emotionally that I didn't know that I had. Um, I thought because I'm so open with my feelings that I didn't really have emotional limitations in terms of being open or accepting, but, um, when those two things, and they happened rather closely, uh, that conversation with a friend about how, about his stuff and mine. Mm -hmm. And then, um, the accepting love, um, really showed me like, um, I have a lot more emotional limitations than I thought I did. It really, um, was pretty shocking to be honest. Um, just because anyone that spends a lot of time with me, like I'm so open and, and, but now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm trying to like work through that in, in the, in how I can, um, you know, it, it's probably some sort of defense mechanism. <laughs> um, for sure. Yeah. But yeah, that for me, that's what vulnerability has or is that's a little specific, but yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to interject something and then I have another question for you. So, I had, I got into a conversation with another gentleman in the comments on the internet. Um, he was not invited onto the podcast because it was not a pleasant conversation. <laughs> um, but it was on some post that was trying to encourage vulnerability in general, but vulnerability specifically in men. And he was talking about how men just need to shut down their feelings and nobody wants that. And like men are supposed to be strong and not vulnerable. And I went off on this little tangent. So this is what I'm going to interject is that I personally believe that vulnerability is how you build strength and it doesn't matter what aspect that is in. So like you're talking about like you found vulnerability in finding kind of where you still have weakness, where you still have work to do. But if you weren't vulnerable, you would not have been able to know that you still have strength to build because nothing is, nothing is really permanent. You always have the ability to be better and to improve and all of that. Um, so I think about it like vulnerability in relationships is having those hard conversations and when you are able to have hard conversations with especially your loved ones that's going to help you build a stronger relationship with them because we all have dirty laundry yeah and the ability to air that out and hold space for one another is what is going to bring people closer um but then also in strength sports, I don't know about you, but I feel very vulnerable when I step on a platform in front of a crowd of people. Yeah. And there is like, 
you literally cannot get to a new PR without failing over and over again. And yeah. failure is one of the most vulnerable things you can do. But if you don't put yourself in that vulnerable position, you don't, you don't get to go to worlds to compete. <laughs> you don't like, and that's one of those things like vulnerability is so important because it is what builds you into being like the strongest, best version of yourself. Yeah, I just think that like old head sort of, I don't know, I don't, I don't want to use any like generational names, but like just that old way of thinking of like, you know, get over it and like, you know, like that's what led to like multiple generations of like alcoholic yep. parents and like spousal abuse. And it's like, that's why like, I mean, you're just going to end up hating yourself. It's just so, to me, it's just so, like, it's such a, I don't want to cuss too much. I don't. Just go for it. Doesn't a, matter. A fucking trope. Like, all this, like, fucking fandalization of, like, the fucking 40s to 60s men of, like, these, like, strong archetypes. Like, were some of them quote-unquote strong archetypes? Yeah, maybe, but the fact is, is most of them were fucking alcoholics. They hated themselves. They hated their wives or, or the, or, you know, this, this isn't a, well, we're talking about men, but this applies to everybody. Heads yeah. up. But typically men. Like, that's why half those people, like, that none of them were happy. Like this, this like anti, like talking about your feeling, like grow the fuck up, man. Like we all have shit. And now are we saying that you should incessantly bother somebody like, no, go to fucking therapy. Like, don't stare at the wall, drinking fucking beer and whiskey all night, being a grumpy, rundown fucking asshole. Like, um, you know, that's kind of a big part. That's kind of my big problem with the world and how the world has been for the last 200 years you know as far as modern knowledge it's just like the world is already like running and beating us down just by the way our world works mm -hmm. so, like you not being able to honestly speak truthfully about how you're feeling to kind of help cathartically dispel that shit or work on that work toward that like you're not fucking cool you're not fucking tough you're not impressive to anybody. Go go to the fucking Elk Lodge or the Moose Lodge or fucking wherever and sit there with all your other fucking drunk friends that are fucking miserable. Oh, my fucking wife or my fucking kids. One, if you didn't want a wife and kids, don't get fucking married. Don't have fucking kids. No one, no one's actually telling anyone to do that. And if they are, fuck them. Um, but um, I, I'm getting worked up. But like, there's no person alive that acts that way that can, that could survive half the bad times I've been through period. Um, this isn't yeah. like, a, like emotional uh, health bar measurement. I'm, I'm, it's just like that, that thinking and that mode is just so like it. And, and it's, it's not ironic to me that because of this 
especially the last 20 years, this acknowledgement and, you know, with the, the, the bringing about of therapy centered around trauma, mm -hmm. uh, it, it makes total sense that there's all of a sudden this like backlash, this like wannabe sheepdog protector. Like, listen, man, if you, if you truly want to step into that role, that sort of gendered role of my family's protector, you can't adequately protect your family in any regard um, without dealing with your shit. Because you know what's going to happen? You're going to be the biggest threat to your family because you're going to fucking snap all the time and you're going to fucking hit or hurt your family. Period. Um, so, but now let me say this. That is different than someone having a hard time getting to therapy or getting to to talking. So if right. you're that's sort of working toward those things, that's not you're not in that group. I'm talking about the 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 loud the few but loud people of like just these I I hate to use like kind of catchphrases, but just this like toxic bullshit of like holding it in and like, I'm fine. Like, no, you're fucking not. No one's fine. <laughs> like, let's Every be clear. No one's Everybody fine. fucked up. <laughs> Everybody's fucked up in some way, but everyone's not fine and everyone needs to go to therapy. Um, and I just don't have time for it. Like, if you, I, again, another friend of mine, like, they, they, they needed to go to therapy and, you know, like, I, I pushed and was like, well, you know, I'll help how I can do this and that. But like, if anybody um, is actually like actively like fuck therapy, like I have no time. Kick, kick rocks, bro. Sorry. Um, that is just like, I don't want to say fundamental, but like you, what I, I can't do what you need to make you change your mind. Um, and sadly, the only thing that's going to change someone's mind like that is something very big. Um, so that's, that's, that's on them. I just, I, I don't wish them ill will most of the time, but I just don't have time for it, man. Grow up, deal with yeah. your Like, I think it's unfortunate that most people, myself included, um, either didn't want to, or like, couldn't invest in therapy until yeah. hitting rock bottom. Yeah. But like it would it would be nice if in our society we could get to the point where like therapy is just a common thing that people do for if we could treat our mental health as important as our physical health. I mean granted we do like most I feel like most people probably do a pretty shit job of their physical health as well in our society. By large, we're, we're a fucking mess physically and mentally. Yeah. Um, um, and they yeah. definitely play into one another. But, yeah. like, if you, if we all took care of our mental health as if it were, and as it, because it is an integral part of who we are, um, I think the world would be a much better place. But unfortunately, so many people won't take that step until like it's that or I'm going to be crude, a gut in their mouth. Like, yeah. well, also too, I think like without getting too into the specifics, 
Um, we live in a society, and I don't mean America. I mean basically every modern first world country, even like some of the ones that are like better, quote unquote. Yeah. Like, I and again, this is not what I was talking about earlier, but you know, um, we are so beaten down, and we are like, we are so literally and figuratively tired and beaten down and run down just to survive, just to make it, um, like an economic level in the in the world, in the modern world. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and there's varying degrees of that, you know what I mean? Like, uh, there are people, be, you know, because we do think that, like, X, Y, and Z are what's going to make me happy. Um, you know, keeping up with the Joneses, whatever you want to call it. But and we all have that to some degree or another. It's just, you know, in different ways. We all have mm -hmm. our own version of that. But in pursuit of that, and in, in pursuit of just literally surviving whatever this is that we're living in um in the you know all these places um you're we're too mentally beaten and mentally and emotionally beaten down to even think about that you know what i mean which then plays into it even more so it's yeah. like self-fulfilling prophecy so again i'm not talking about people that can't find the time or the money or the resources um uh, but like you know um I'm not in therapy right now, um, even though I'm like the first guy to tell someone to go to therapy. Um, and, you know, luckily I've got um, some people in my corner that they, you know, I've got somebody in my life that they would never say they're my therapist because that's like a gross misunderstanding of what they do for me. Um, but he, he like facilitates a big part of my life. Um, I'm not going to say their name or their exact, their actual in my life anyone that knows me knows what i'm talking about if he listens to this he'll know it's him but um sorry um like without that person and without you know the few other little things and people in my life like i'd be a wreck um so i understand when people like have that they're they're just so, too exhausted to even search it out you know, so like I, I do, we need, I do think we need to acknowledge that. Like, and I, uh, I, I kind of make a comparison. Uh, so we had a relative a couple of years ago. He was a plumber for like forty-five years, some ludicrous amount of time. He was a plumber. Um, got uh, the exact stuff. I'm gonna really mess up. He had to go through chemo, went through it, and got through it. Was fine. We're fine. And then like a year or two later, it came back and he was, he had retired and was, you know, getting on up in his age, but, you know, was still doing okay. And he opted to not go through with treatment. Um, I think you could, you could have several opinions as to the why or why not. Um, and I am not speaking for him at all. He, he has since passed. Um, but uh i think like the fact that he just chose not to fight or deal or whatever however you want to call it like speaks to just how tired he was mm -hmm. you know whether it was from a lifetime of being a laborer or from a life for or from the last couple of years or going through chemo already like to me that's sort of an analogy of like what existence is right now like 
even if you're as close to being like neuronormative as possible, um, I just don't think anyone's actually walking through day-to-day -day life every day on the level. Um, I find that really hard to believe. Um, I hope I'm wrong. That would be awesome. But the way we're forced to exist, and I speak from a, from a point of privilege. I live in a fucking house that we bought. I own a home. Like, I am insanely privileged. Like, I didn't even post that we bought a house because I have friends that can't. And it, like, upsets me. It's upsetting me right now that, like, not that they didn't, not that my friends would be mad, but, like, I didn't want to post that we bought a house just because my some of my friends can't. And that, that hurts me. Um, but uh, I just think that... Uh, the world is rough <laughs> and it, it takes so much out of us that like, I do understand when people can't make the time or, you know what I mean? Those are the things that I think are completely valid. Um, instead of this like oppositional, like Tacoma Oakley, cool guy shit, you know? It makes me always brings up in my brain the the people and whether you believe in spanking or not spanking your kids or not uh the people who always respond with well i got spanked and i turned out just fine and i'm like really yeah. Yeah. <laughs> i would i beg to disagree <laughs> um yeah it's just passing the buck yeah you know? um i think whether it was through the music I consumed or the media or the what, like, um, I, uh, uh, I just, I was driven at a young age, pretty early age, one to like, just be on my own. I just at a very young age, always wanted to be on my own. Um, and then as I got older, <laughs> very specifically was to get away from my mother um and you know my dad um who i didn't get to see as much as i wanted to um uh he 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 would get real with me very at a very young age and it was mm -hmm. my my dad basically would tell me on the regular like you you can't be your mother like, if you turn into her, you're not going to make it. Um, and, you know, my dad was somebody that I just thought was so fucking cool. You know, he's no longer with us. Uh, but my dad was so cool. He was so funny. He was so smart. You know what I mean? Like, it's so, I, I wanted to be like him in so many ways. Uh, I think hearing that blunt honesty um had an effect on me mostly just because i wanted to impress my dad luckily my dad was so great that like impressing my dad didn't take much you know what mm -hmm. i mean but to me impressing my dad was making him laugh it wasn't like winning a football game or you know you know what i mean like yeah i can think of like i can think of every time i made my dad laugh when i wasn't like like, if I didn't do something stupid, you know what I mean? Like, I can think of every time I intentionally was able to make my dad laugh. Um, and um, 
I think uh, breaking, I didn't view it as breaking the cycle, but knowing I couldn't be like my mother and I didn't want to be and getting away from her, I think is what sort of helped me sort of get off that path. You know, and I talk about it regularly when I, when I kind of get in my, when I get into my dark places, my dark mm -hmm. phases, you know, cause it happens to me a couple times a year. Um, you know, I'm afraid I'm turning into my mother or I could or am or are. Um, and you know, um, just whether it was ideal or not or appropriate or not, like hearing that from somebody I really trusted and cared about had an effect on me. Um, and I think like, uh, my wife has a very high opinion of me, luckily. <laughs> you know, she she thinks I am sort of innately built a lot differently than than a lot of people I'm related to. Whether that's true, I don't know. Um, but she thinks that I was probably going to end up some version of me now, um, one way or the other. I, I just don't know. I'm not really a big predeterminist. Um, yeah. But... <laughs> I, I think I think I, ha I had just enough of the right words in my ear at the right time, you know? Um, and um, I also got really lucky, uh, you know, by, a, you know, when we finally settled somewhere living, because we moved around a lot, um, like I was in 12 schools by sixth grade. Uh, but luckily by sixth grade, we finally settled. But uh, I have the same three best friends from that day to this day. They're texting me right now. I'm seeing the text pop on my screen. <laughs> um, you know, like they, them and their family after, you know, the friendships were very solidified. Like, uh, you know, they didn't really say it at the time, you know, but all, you know, like them just letting me stay over, you know, let me come over on the holidays or stay over on weekends or even during the week or like, you know, like, hey, things are getting a little crazy. Can I come stay for the week and go to school with you? Um, so I think I got, I think I just got really lucky. Um, you know, I think I drew long straw or short straw. I think I just got really lucky in a lot of regards, to be honest. So I want to point out, well, two things. One, they say that your parents are either an example of what you want to be or what you don't want to be. So that's, um, that's what your part of what your story kind of made me think of that kind of quote is that, cause for me, it's my dad. Like I, I don't want to be like my dad. And yeah. so it's always been an example of like, just don't be like that guy. Yeah. Um, but then the other part, so I kind of want to throw this out there. The importance of I, people might call it these days, finding your tribe, um, but having a support system and being able to build that support system pretty much from the ground up because it, you, you can't rely on it. Like some people are lucky enough that their support system is their family. Some people have to go out and build a family from whatever degenerates, talk to them in junior high um, <laughs> um but that's also supremely important 
especially like if you can go to therapy, fantastic. Um, but for the people who can't, trying to find a support system, people who are able to hold space for you, because again, we all have our shit. And every once in a while, you need someone to talk to. And like, I know my best friend, she, like, I love her to pieces. She's not, she's not someone who talks to me when I am in one of my dark places. She doesn't sit there and give me advice. She doesn't try to solve my problems. She just knows that if I call her without a text preceding it, that she needs to get to my house because something is happening. And she shows up and she just shares space with me so that I don't have to be alone. And that is so powerful. And just when you can, being there for people. Even if it's not, even if they're not your best friend, like even if it's someone on the street who is having a rough time, you can tell they're having a rough day, spending five minutes and letting them know that like you as another human being see that they are in pain and are willing to spend five minutes with them could save somebody's life. And I think that we have that power of that human connection and we need to use that power more often. Yeah. I think about, uh, I think about stuff like that a lot. Sometimes my brain will like kind of hyper fixate on stuff. Um, uh, like opening the door for someone, like sometimes my, my brain, I sound like a fucking maniac, but like in my brain, sometimes I hope it's not from this, like, uh, savior complex or, or mm-hmm. something like that, but like, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll my brain will just immediately like if I do whether I do or don't open the door for somebody like um, my brain will like sort of like almost like fast pay like what is this micro decision going to do to this person's life if anything um, like you know I guess it's kind of almost like the butterfly effect of like well yep. if I open for this person like is that going to lead to this and to that and like um yeah I, one of my like um uh, it's not a bad trait it's like me not setting boundaries on myself is um i will spend so much time checking on other people and being there for other people and then i'm all of a sudden kind of without my own bandwidth you know, and I've like kind of taken on a lot of people's stuff because, you know, like my friend, um, I don't think, I hope he doesn't mind, but my friend JJ, who I met through Strongman, uh, but we have like long since surpassed that. Like he's, he is like well within my like very small circle. Um, you know, it's like, there's just day, like you were saying, like there's days you just need to fucking let it out. And like, I don't need advice. I don't want your opinions. I need some <laughs> trust and believe and love to let me say all this shit. Um, he's we're that for one another. And um, but then there are days where I'm like, I need to talk to my friend, you know. And he's one of those people, man. And but I do think if you're someone like me, I'm like always checking on people. Um, and I, you know, I. I, for myself, I firmly believe in that sort of gut thing. 
of like when my gut says I need to check on someone, I do. I almost do do it on the spot. Mm -hmm. um, and um, I think that's very easily because not really anyone ever did that for me as a kid. Some of it was just technology at the time, like checking in on somebody like 20 years ago. Oh man, we're getting old. 20 ish. <laughs> like you, like there was no, there was no easy way to do that. Um, to do that with like a 14 year old. Yeah. Um, unless, you know, unless I ha happened to have a computer and was like online uh, but like, you know, everyone that knew me, like it was hard for everyone to check on me because they knew if they called the house, they would get my mother on the phone. Right. Um, so I've had to get better about figuring out ways. Cause I, I, I like that. I want to check on people and make sure people are okay. Um, but I have had to get better about sort of, I don't know, segmenting, compartmentalizing so that like I am not then drained and then I'm a mess. Because a lot of times what I'll do is I'll, hey, just checking in on you. And then it'll either be like real quick mm -hmm. or it'll be kind of a, a thing. Um, but I feel like it'll come in waves. I'll do it in waves and I'll have all these like really big conversations. Um, and I'm genuinely actually participating in the conversation um, or I'm just taken in and by the end of it I'm, I'm, I'm like I have nothing left for myself so I've had to get better about that um, and being open about it um, and I think a part of that is probably me like reaching out because I want someone to reach out to me or, or didn't, maybe not now, but no one did it to me when I was younger. So, um, but no, that's, yeah, building a support system is so hard because, and it's okay. Like, it's okay if someone that's in your support system says, like, I can't do this for you right now. Right. Um, you know, that happened with a friend of mine a couple of years ago. He was, he, had, he, he was in a, a relationship and it was bad and it was going bad and he was in the thick of some really nasty shit and I said I'll call you in an hour and I didn't and I forgot and he was really mad and I get it um, but I also told him like hey and it was during lockdown and I was like I'm sorry I didn't call you and you're right that I shouldn't have said that I was going to call you if I wasn't but I need you to believe that I genuinely am so caught up in everything that I've got going on that I didn't actively not call you back or call you rather. Um, but um, I, I also think like a support system is like, it can be a lot of different things. I think defining it is really important, you know, like, um, And it can be different for everybody. You know, sometimes the support system might actually be like having some people that you can just meet up and have dinner with. And maybe you don't, maybe you just don't talk about shit and you're just hanging out. You know, like sometimes that is a support system for people. Um, you know, like I have a, 
uh, a group text with my three best friends and like sometimes just reading through their messages is all I need. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Cause it like, you know, it, I mean, you might classify it as avoidance, but um, you know, just like reading how my friends are doing uh, and not necessarily tech getting involved in the conversation is just what I need to do. Um, you know, um, is that like the best way to deal with things? No, but like, it's a, like, re it's a relief. It's a way to relieve my, my feelings or stress or whatever you want to call it. Right. Um, you know, I, whether it's like compartmentalizing or like has some weird sort of like, I don't want to say like sociopath, but like I have like different support things with different parts of my life. Like I have a coworker that's a really good friend of mine and I'm very open with him about how I feel about tattooing, how I feel about my tattooing. Um, and then I have people that I, just without any filter talk to about how I feel about my pursuit of strongman. Um, and then I have people I just open up to about life, you know? Um, and that's really fucking important. Um, and whether it's therapy or friends, like I think I, I, we have, I don't know, man, we just have to have so much to like make it through this world that it is like, mm -hmm really daunting on top of the fact that like just being sentient just being a being that is aware of itself is like a crushing weight to have on you you know like this sounds Agreed. i think it, it to me when i think about it it sounds somewhere between immature and absolutely fucking insane but like you know, when I, I, I think it's me sort of disassociating which disassociating is something I do a lot um, I don't mean it in a good way or a bad way. It's just a fact. Like, I disassociate. Honestly, I disassociate probably multiple times a day, whether mm -hmm. for just a fleeting moment or it's, like, sometimes, like, an hour or two at a time. Um, but, like, I sit here and I think about, like, me, Cody, on this fucking rock and it, like, it's almost like a movie where it sort of will zoom out and it gets further and further away. And like, all of a sudden I'm looking at planet earth and I'm hearing my thoughts, but then I'm hearing everyone else's thoughts. And I feel depending on the mood I'm in, sometimes I, sometimes I find that very freeing. Uh, but then there's other times where that really scares me. Um, and that thinking about how everyone else is like sort of battling with being, sort of alive in this world um, really scares and hurts me. Um, and um, I think about how some people deal with all that stuff that don't have literally anybody. Um, and I don't know. I don't know how, I don't know how they do it. Um, and I think a lot of people don't. And I think that, you know, because we live in a very individual, individualism is like, individualism is very like such a keystone in a lot of the places we live that I think that we forget that 
um, while you working on yourself, whether it's your emotions, your hobbies, your whatnot, like, um, you know, a person could be a lightning rod for a group of people. And that's really important. That's incredible. Um, like everyone's carried by others. Right. Um, you know what I mean? Like no one person has actually truly done anything worth a shit on the I fully stand by that statement. I mean, economically, artistically, emotionally, there is nothing. No one person has done anything incredible truly on their own. I do not believe that to be true. I agree with you 100%. I um, like the concept of being self-made. I would, I would disagree with everybody who says they're self-made. Yeah. Um, because I mean, whether, I, whether it's, it's the people... Cool. It's fucking cool for a bumper sticker or something like right. that with a wolf on it. Right. But even like whether it's people supporting you or people tearing you down, like those people ignited you somehow. Like yeah. you were not the sole thing that no. made you who you are. Every, every interaction yeah. you've had with a person changes you. It's like that you're a sum of all parts. Also, this like you know, I think like this plays into the individualism thing is like this like hustle mentality has like infected mm -hmm. stuff. And it's like doing it for my haters. And it's like you're a grown adult. One, don't say haters. You sound really weird. Two, um, like this idea that like people are actively like, and this plays into my shit that we were talking about earlier, this like fucked up thing in my head that I have where I think people are like, they're not conspiring. I'm not saying that right. laughing at me behind my back and I'm a fucking joke. Um, like that, this, this plays into that, but like, um, being like solely motivated creating these scenarios where you have haters is like 9.99999 times out of a, a 10 is just never a good idea. And you're creating these like false narratives. Um, and I think that like, um, that's a part of the problem is like, yeah, are there people out there that don't like you? It's very possible. I guess you could say almost likely given how many people there are, but like, um, if I could, if I was truly honest about if I have people that actively want me to not succeed, it is like some just, it, it might be one person and it is like, it is stemming from nothing I have done. You know what I mean? Right. Um, and oh. I, that like, we need to flip that specific notion on its head. And it's like, I'm doing the things I want to do because I'm empowered by the, by the people around me, whether they do this thing that I do or not. Like all my friends, my closest friends who I keep talking about, they all work out and lift. And some of them have done like some competitions, but they're not like, they're definitely not as fucking obsessive as I am. <laughs> but like, they get so hyped for me to do anything. You know what I mean? And like, I think invoking that is like so much more powerful than like, I'm doing it to prove everybody wrong. Like, hey man, I get it. Like I had so many people, depending on how you find so many, but I've had multiple people my whole life tell me that like, I couldn't do things 
whether that was a legitimate criticism or not, or whether they were just being nasty. But like, what I like to tell people is that anger is a, it's a flash in the pan, but that's all it's fucking good for. Like it will not sustain the flame that is going to carry the torch. I promise you. Um, you know, if you're really, if you're like either a highly competitive person, I don't mean within a sport, but if you just are highly competitive and highly motivated, yeah, like, sad to say, but you do need to tap into that stuff sometimes. Um, but it's, it has to be compartmentalized. Like, mm-hmm. um, I've got shit that I think about when I compete at certain situations, you know, but like, I invoke it one or two times a year uh, because like when I get done, I am not well, (laughs) you know? So I think like, especially with gym and lifting culture, people live in that sort of real dark headspace and like, you're going to burn out. You're going to get hurt. You're going to become resentful. You're going to be hateful. You know, you're going to like fucking think everybody's in your fucking way. And like, I promise you like it is not going to last and it's not worth it. Um, like coming from someone that like I've just been fucking grinding for 10 years now, like as, as in stupid and infantile as it sounds like 10 years ago, I said to someone I knew, like, I believe I can do something really special involving strength or a barbell. Um, and they like were really public because they weren't, they worked out, but they weren't anyone that competed. Like, like, what do you mean? And I'm like, I don't really know to be honest, but I feel it inside of me. Uh, and I think invoking that kind of thing, whatever it might be, just coming from a more positive aspect, like, yeah, you're not going to be like as cool to watch because you're not screaming and snorting Epsom small Epsom salts all the time. But like, you're going to have a way better time. You're going to be in a way better mood, I think. And you're just going to be a lot more pleasant to be around. And then if something important is coming up, whether it's a meet, a competition, or just whether you just want to hit a PR, if you need to kind of dig into that place, which, like, I, I, I have some people, they're athletes, but they're people that, I, that came from more team sports. Mm-hmm. that were like, you have to go to those places to lift, then, like, maybe you shouldn't lift. I don't exactly agree with that. I think that's like coming from people that are like gifted athletically that I think they got by on, on their own skill and never had to actually like really bust their ass as like entitled as that sounds coming from me. Um, But like this like wholesale uh, burning of emotions is just like really stupid to me. Like we are a sum of all parts. Like, um, you know, like, uh, I'm Cody the tattooer. I'm, I'm Cody the uh, victim of trauma. Um, but I'm also uh, Cody, the guy that, like, I remember saying this as a teenager. I think this was, like, a part of – this was, like, a st- stepping stone for me because um, I liked going – I didn't like doing schoolwork, but I liked being at school because I liked being around people. I liked talking to people. And I remember saying to someone, like, if I can go to school and someone comes to school, whether it's because they have a shitty home life or they're just mad and they see me or talk to me and they have a better day, then that's why I'm here. Um, Like that can be true. And then at the same time, like 
when I compete in November, if I have to go to that real fucked up place in my head to like do the thing, like I'm that guy too. You know what I mean? Um, and I think people need to be more comfortable with that. Um, also, not everything is for other people. <laughs> like, right. um, this whole idea that like, I just want to make my family proud. Listen, man, woman, like if your family's not proud of you already, that fucking $20 medal that you're going to win. And I promise whether it's a local state national or international level competition, it's a $20 medal or statue. Like if they're not proud of you beforehand, fuck them. Um, like, I knew someone that was like, I wouldn't say I was mentoring, but he was like trying to figure out how to navigate the lightweight strongman scene. Yeah. It's like, well, you know, I want to do X, Y, and Z to make my kids proud and my wife proud. And I was like, listen, man, if, if, if you want advice from me, like I'm not the guy because that's fucking bullshit. Like your wife, your kids, your mom, your dad, you know, barring real toxic shit. Like, they probably don't give a fuck and that's okay. Like they don't have to like what they do need to do is acknowledge that you care about something and that you're pursuing something that you're very emotionally invested in. And that's enough barring, you know, unless you're like not holding up your end of the bargain as far as being a marital partner or a parent, you know, or a functioning yeah. member of the family, that's different. But like you just wanting to do it is enough. Like, um, the, you know, like, so I don't do anything I don't want to do. We talked about that, but the, the truth is until about a year ago, um, the depth of which I pursue things was, and is, is mildly, uh, motivated by like, um, uh, reprisal, um, and like vengeance or whatever you want to call it. Um, you know, I do it because of the people that I still have issues with that are alive. Mm -hmm. Um, and, um, I finally said that out loud and it like found, sounds fucking insane. Like, um, you know, and that's like been a big part of an emotional shift for me over the last like six to eight months is like, you know, I always did this stuff for me but the depth of which was like kind of like a way to sort of like be another way I could win, you know, in this like war of like emotional attrition. <laughs> um, but like, I just want to do this stuff. Um, you know, like strongman specifically, like I want to do it because I fucking love it. And like, yeah, winning feels great. Like when I do win, I haven't won anything in a while, but like, um, I just do it because I love it. I love training. I love competing. Um, like, um, I just love it. I think it brings out, I think competing specifically, um, brings out every part of me. I think it brings out the like, you know, and I'm not saying this is cool or good. It's just reality. Like competing brings out that cornered sort of animalistic part of me that I get from, from my genetics. Mm -hmm. um, and then it also brings out just my like ability to just soak in things and take them in 
Um, it's also, I think, when I'm usually at my most um, caring and loving, you know, like I'm never going to be the competitor that's going to not tell you something because I don't want you to win, you know, like, um, the, you know, there's there's some stuff I don't like uh, in the build up to a competition I don't share. Uh, but like if anybody I was competing against was like, I don't know how to press a keg. I'm like, well, we got five minutes. I don't know how much this is going to help, but go try this. Yeah. Um, because for me, like, um, I want to do well, but it's not just how I place, it's how I carry myself. You know, that was a conversation I had with my wife. Um, you know, I'm trying to really set the tone this year, um, at my next competition to lead into 2023. Um, and you know, I didn't ask anything of her to do anything. Um, I don't, I don't ever ask her to do anything for me regarding strongman. But what I asked was, I need you to tell me and let me know what and when, and if anything, I need to change in terms of how I carry myself, because, you know, she doesn't get to always go to all my competitions. Um, but she is linked in with everyone that we know, or she watches the live stream or both. And, um, how I carry myself um, is just as important as whether I win or not. It's, it's more important. Um, and you know, like even if I get every dream I want or desire I want out of this sport, um, the how I do it is very important to me. Um, I don't want to sever ties or lose people. I want to, I want, I want it to grow. Um, and like, like I said, anger is a great flash in the pan for inspiration but I, I think like whether you're pursuing anything professional or strength related or just emotional catharsis, it has to be motivated by something cathartic. Like anger is not prolonged anger. I don't think is cathartic, you know what right. I mean? Um, it's just going to feed into itself. It's not going to, it never is going to open you up to anything. You know what I mean? Um, so uh, in terms of like physical culture and strength culture, I really want that. To ch I would like to see that changed. Um, you know, I'm not uh, famous by any regard, um, but I hope that people, um, I hope how I put myself out there and how I care myself is noticeably different. And I hope that it can maybe show some folks like, you know, you don't have to be necessarily like the, like these people, you know, so. Yeah, I, I gotta tell you, I did. I mean, when I was scrolling through your Instagram to steal a picture to put on the like live announcement, there were two pictures that looked like they were taken like very close together. And I chose the one where you had a bigger smile on your face because that's the kind of vibe I get from you. So <laughs> that's the one I chose. <laughs> yeah, that was um, so that was at the Arnold. Um, so for anyone that sort of knows me or doesn't um i competed at world's strongest man osg in november this past november and i so i've been really fortunate because of my coach and experience um i have never had a competition not go how it was supposed to go i don't mean that in placing but i mean in like testing and planning it's all i've 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 like had the best batting average ever um and um uh world
Worlds this past November was the first time that I had all the tools and experience I needed to get what I wanted and just fell short. And I wasn't hurt. I didn't have a bad cut. I didn't get food poisoning. I didn't get any, like, none of that stuff that you see. Like, I just didn't have a very good weekend. And I did, placing-wise, I did really bad um, compared to what I could do. And I was just so upset. So upset. Especially since a month prior, I had maybe my best performance ever um, at Nationals. Um and maybe you know it could you know we could get Phyllis Wax poetic about it. Maybe it was like entitlement. Maybe I was entitled. I don't really know, but I just had a bad weekend, and I didn't do well for me. And that was the first time that I had ever dropped the ball or underperformed. And um, I was really upset, really upset. And I got home and. My, my coach and I, we, we talk a lot, but we have a general rule whether a contest goes good or bad. We try to do about a two to three week cool off before we, so he, he doesn't live near me. Um, so um, we, tr like our catch up calls after mm -hmm. the test, we like to wait about two to three weeks, whether they go good or bad, because, um, just so I could have some emotional distance. And um, he, I think, was really wondering where I was going to be at emotionally after Worlds. And I had qualified for the Arnold. And I just said, uh, we talked about what I think happened. And we just, you know, I think at the end of the day, ultimately it was just, I just had my first bad show. You know, but having said that, uh, I had to vastly change my mental and emotional approach. I leading into worlds and nationals, I was very up and down, like very up and down. Um, you know, I was crying in my garage once or twice a week while I was training, um, you know, just because I was just so fixated. Um, and I had to completely change my mental approach, kind of back to what it used to be. Um, and then at the Arnold, I, I did, I placed really well and had some solid performance and had a really good time and was with some, some just fantastic athletes. And, um, it, I just, uh, felt really good. Um, uh, not about placing, but just like, I felt back to kind of this true genuine self a little bit more like what we talked about when I was a kid, like, um, I was able to compete and be able to turn on, you know, but mm -hmm. I was having fun. I was making sure I was talking and checking in on people and I was not checking the scoreboard and not watching what people were doing. And um, So the Arnold for me was like a very key moment because I from one bad international ship to possibly have another bad international ship. And luckily go that way but uh those two pictures were taken after the stone and um it really just cemented how I, how i have to pursue competing from an emotional mental standpoint um for me to do well and to feel well um and those two don't always coincide but i need them to coincide um 
otherwise it's just it's not it's not good for me so yeah all right cody it has been such a pleasure to talk to you um i i will probably invite you to come on another time because i feel like we could dive deeper into other things yeah i can important time well i i hope i didn't go on too many tangents oh i I love tangents it's how i live (laughs) i hope i made sense at least you did for sure um is there anything that you want people to know about coming up you know you have did you say worlds coming up in november so november i will be competing again at worlds it'll be my um fourth trip to official strongman games world strongest man 80 kilo i will be down there my coach is coming um, my friend Katie, who I train with sometimes and go to the gym with, um, she'll be with me hanging out. I have a ton of friends that are going. Um, uh, so I'm doing that. Um, and if anyone, uh, sees me that knows me, and if you want to talk to me, you don't have to, but if you do just fucking grab me, um, Hey, <laughs> or, you know, say my name, like, um, I will not that I like am so busy, but like, I'm going to take the time to talk to you. Um, even if it's right before an event, I'll tell you to stay right there and I'll be right back. Cause luckily strong means really fast, <laughs> but um, you know, uh, I'm going to be down there to win, but I am also down there to have as ludicrous as it sounds like I am down there to win. And, um, but I'm also down there to be sort of a steward I guess, of uh, not the sport, but uh, I think I have a very big emotional attachment to the weight class. Um, so, like, um, I'm down there also to just be a steward of the weight class. Um, and if you think I have something to offer you, whether it's training or emotional advice, um, I don't know if I'll, I can make the time to go in depth about that in person, but just say, hey, I, I, I want to have a conversation with you and we'll figure it the fuck out. Um, and then um, my wife's birthday is coming up and our anniversary is coming up and my birthday is coming up. So all that stuff is going. And for anybody that might be in Austin, Texas, I will be doing the star of Texas tattoo convention in January so when I make, I mean, you can hit me up now, but I'll be making more posts and info about that. Um, um, so come get tattooed. I might do a strongman seminar while I'm down there. We'll see if I have time. And then check out my sponsors, Lifting Large, Cody Ableton. Um, they've got kind of everything. Um, that also helps sort of me uh, fund the traveling and stuff, um, which... Um, it's like uh, I opt into my hobby, so I'm not asking for people to pay for it, but uh, it makes it easier for me to compete, especially because when I do compete, I uh, tried, I try and cover as many of the costs as I can for anybody going with me um, so that anybody that's there just watching me, they're not coming out of pocket, whether it's friends, family, you know, anybody that's like staying with me in Daytona, I'm trying to just pay for the whole thing. Um, so they don't have to worry about it. Um, but yeah, I think that's pretty much it on the calendar. I work at Tattoo Paradise in the Maryland, D.C. area. So check that out. Um, 
I have a training program that is subscription based. I have, I got all kinds of stuff. It's all in my bio. If you just click link in the bio, um, I post on the internet a lot, so I'm not going to be hard to find. Um, but if you need <laughs> something, I can try and do what I can. And, uh, I appreciate you be, uh, bringing me on and, um, yeah, let me, let me kind of talk. Yeah. It has been, it's been fantastic. Thank you very much. Um, everyone, this has been the common humanity podcast where we have real human conversations and Cody, thank you. Have a lovely evening. Yeah, you too.